Well, there you have another episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio, audio medicine by Green Zone Hero. This particular Army veteran story didn't start out to be a 20-year career. He actually started out thinking he'd only do one tour. Uh, he went in because he was doing some bad things by his own admission. But it turned him around and it opened his eyes and he got to see a lot about leadership, the way organizations work and how they train each other and how they support each other. Uh, he's on an important mission now after the 20-year stint. I'm very honored to have uh, him on the show today. His name is Jeffrey Lodick. He's a neighbor, lives right up the road here on the west coast of Florida, and uh, you're going to enjoy this conversation. And thank you for listening and for supporting what we're doing here at Street Out of Combat Radio. Your steely-eyed killer shadow in the night You were born to fight My name is John Krotek, and I want to welcome you to Straight Out of Combat Radio, audio medicine by Green Zone Hero. We're here to honor the wisdom of America's most valuable asset for combat veterans. We're authentic, we're empowering, we're American. Save us all burn it down. Our veteran guest for this episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio. Audio Medicine by Green Zone Hero is an individual that we've been trying to get on here for a long time. Actually, a lot of stuff's been going on. We've been trying to get Army veteran Jeff Lodick here since December. I met uh, Jeff through James Van Pruen, which many people know. But, you know, Jeff's got an interesting story. He's originally from Buffalo, New York. He joined the Army in 1997, just a year after graduating from high school. And interestingly enough, that enlistment lasted 20 years. And we're going to hear more about that. Obviously, in 20 years, you're going to go to a lot of places, some of which Jeff went to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, also known as Vietnam, Korea, Fort Jackson, South Carolina, Stuttgart, Germany, which was where I was born, and McDill Air Force Base. He saw the world in more ways than one. Uh, he served as a squadron sergeant major an operations sergeant major, first sergeant, platoon sergeant, drill sergeant. He was a paratrooper, a master-rated jump master, a pathfinder, and a graduate of the Battle Staff Non-Commissioned Officer course, amongst other military schools. Well, you know, when somebody does 20 years, when they get out, they don't just, they don't just stop. And I got to tell you, Jeff's been really busy since he got out. He's been assisting transitioning service members as an associate instructor for four block. We'll hear more about that. And he also hosts his own podcast show, which I have been on, The Other Side, Leadership After Transition. He designed that podcast specifically to allow experienced veterans and those who truly want to assist veterans the ability to provide insight on leadership in the transition process. Jeff is really hardcore on leadership, and that's what we like about him, because without leadership, uh, we can really go nowhere as a society. Jeff was also... Um, he faced with some uh, challenge. In 2002, when he was only 23 years old, he was diagnosed with testicular cancer. It was the first time in, he, in his life that he realized his mortality and began to appreciate living a hell of a lot more. During his time as a drill sergeant in 2005 through 2007, he found his passion to help those who truly wanted to help themselves and were simply asking for guidance. With his passion for life and his desire to teach, coach, and mentor, upon his retirement, he opened Change Your Forecast, 
LLC, an organization that uses organized sports. He's an avid baseball lover, by the way, to teach life and leadership lessons to student athletes at both high school and collegiate level. He's an inspirational speaker, a member of the National Speakers Association, and also a member of the Toastmaster. He is happily married to Alexandria and has four children, three girls and a boy, ages 14, 12, 4, and 10 months. Um, Mr. Lodick has been very busy, and we're happy to have him here on Straight Out of Combat Radio. Welcome, Jeff. Hey, thanks, John. I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Well, you know, reading all of that, you know, we've got a lot to cover here and, you know, time is of the essence. But, you know, before we get started, I just really appreciate you being here. Um, Appreciate James making the connection and all the things that you're doing. You know, tell us a little bit about the Lodic household up in Buffalo. Man, it was crazy. Uh, My, my, uh, well, one, hey, thank you. And I I appreciate it. I know that I wanted to say thank you again because it it has been a long time and I've been following you for quite a long time. I was thankful when James put us together. So now um, this is just a great opportunity. And having you on my show last week or the week week before, it was awesome. It was just great to talk to you. Anyhow, the Lodic household up in Buffalo, well, I was the baby, right? So I have a, a brother that's uh, 11 years older than me, another brother that's nine years older than me, and uh, my father left when I was, my mother was pregnant with me. That was an interesting thing, which, and later on in life, I found out that while pregnant with me, my mother put the car, left the car on, closed the garage door, and, and was going to kill herself because at that time, obviously being a divorced woman, and, and at that time wasn't the best of, of you know, of the world. So anyhow... Uh, she, she was going to end it all. Right. And then she had this aha moment that said, Hey, I I got a baby. I I need to be here for my baby. And she turned off the car and that was the last thing that she ever did in that regard. They got divorced. And, uh, I mean, officially I was born a couple days later and, you know, I kind of, kind of just, just went, man. It was, it was great though. I, my stepfather was in the picture, uh, by the time I was old enough to really understand life, I was six years old. Uh, so from zero to six, right. I didn't really have much of a father figure, but I had two older brothers that tormented me to death, beat me to death, you know, all those good things, but, but helped me, you know, and they're, they're my best friends even to this day. I uh, kind of hated them a little bit when I was younger because I resented them and, and what their role was in life, but I didn't understand it, you know, but yeah. So growing up with my stepfather, when he came into life, he, uh, that's where baseball really came from. That's where the love of baseball came from. He didn't like baseball that much, but I loved to play and he loved to talk to me. That was kind of the thing that bridged our relationship that kind of took it from stepdad to, you know, that guy that's over there. It just made us very close throughout life. Right. But right. baseball. Well, would you say, would you say that then that your brothers were your mentors or did, and your stepdad or did you have anybody else? No, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. So those were, you know, I got to be honest. Those were yes, my those were my mentors, right? But the, I think like many children, um, I chose a path of ignorance sometimes, and, and a lot of times. And actually, I put myself in a lot of bad situations because I allowed some people to be mentors that um, are very, uh, very big influencers in my life that weren't really that that worthy, right? That weren't worthy of my of my time and energy and effort. Um, and and they influenced a lot of the things and mentored me uh, in a negative way, right? But right. as I grew, I kind of I kind of grew from that. I, I understood that the people that I needed the most were the people that loved me the most, but it took time to understand that. Yeah, it does take time to understand that. And I, I hear you loud and clear. Let me ask you this. Did you have anybody in your, in your family that was in the military coming along? So my stepfather was in the military. Uh, he served in Vietnam for a very short period of time. When he, when he got out after a few years, uh, he, he started working at us airways and, and pretty much my existence of life 
he, he passed away in 2010. He stopped working at U.S. Airways in two, uh, 2004 or five. He retired. So for for the majority of my life, I mean, he worked at U.S. Airways, but he had worked there a total of 35 years. But two years in the military and the Army. And then my cousins, I, I have two pretty close cousins to me uh, that were older, much older than me. And they, they had got out by the time I was actually in, enlisting in the military. But I had heard some stories from them. That's pretty cool. You know, so, you know, you said you went in about a year after you graduated from high school. What was going on? You just um, what was the you know the switch that clicked? Man, I, so I'm going to share this quick story with you because uh, I, I know we want to get involved into more things. But here, so about about eight months, nine months before I joined him, I actually took a whole year off of of anything. I, I played baseball. I, I kind of went to spring training with the Toronto Blue Jays as a I mean, as a walk-on, not nothing significant. I wasn't drafted, but you know, I tried to make my way that way. It didn't work out. But about four months before that, so before January timeframe, about four months earlier, my friend and I were on a couch and we were we were drunk. Uh, we were young kids, but you know, out of school, whatever. And uh, got a phone call, one of those one eight hundred numbers call, you know, that said, "Hey, you, you ever think about joining the military?" Blah blah blah. Well, we pressed one, and this lady came on, and then sent the recruiter to my house. Uh, a few few a few weeks later, my friend Phil enlisted in the army, and, and we, I was like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "Man, the recruiter came. You know, remember when the recruiter came?" I was like, "Yeah, we weren't, we weren't supposed to really join the army, man. It was we were just having a good time, you know. It was it wasn't real." But anyway, he he left, and you know, I gotta be honest, man. I had a lot of friends um, at that time, you know, at eighteen years old or seventeen at the time, but I had a lot of real uh, a lot of friends, but they were they weren't real friends, right? There was a lot of people that were always around, but he was kind of the guy that was always around. I mean, everything, whether it be good or bad, he was there. I mean, he was like, my parents loved him to death. I mean, he was always around. He actually lived at my house for quite a period of time. But once he was gone, I was kind of like, I don't want to say lost, but I was like, wow, this sucks. And I'd have conversation with him every so often. And he ended up being in, in Germany and kind of told me about some of the boots. He was drinking beer out of boots. And I was like, well, that's cool. Anyway, <laughs> you know, I mean, he was having a lot of fun. I mean, it was just, it sounded, it didn't sound what the commercials made it sound like. It didn't sound like what the people said it was. It sounded like just like a 24-7 party. Uh, take away the the time that they spent in the field. He was a combat engineer, so a little different than what I chose. But anyhow, um, you know, given that time, I was like, wow. So, when baseball really didn't work out for me, and, and I really, I actually, John, I, I got to be honest, man, I saw my life in front of me. I saw where I was going, and and my father would tell you if he was alive. My mother would tell you now. Uh, I was either going to uh, going to jail or I was going to die. That that was no joke. I mean, that wasn't just because I can say it now. I'm, that is, I was doing wrong things, and uh, I I drove by a recruiting station, just saw it, stopped, and and uh, I wanted to jump out of airplanes, so. That's what I said. I asked the Army, and they said no. I walked over to the Air Force, and the Army came inside the Air Force place and brought me back, and there there I went, and I joined the Army. That's an awesome story. So where did you go? So you went to Fort Bragg right away? Well, not – well – yeah, for where my first duty assignment was at Fort Bragg. So I went to, you know, Fort, uh, Fort Knox, Kentucky for basic training, then AITF, Fort Gordon. I was a radio operator. From there, I went to Fort Benning, Georgia to go to Airborne School. And then from Airborne School, I uh, I actually uh, had had assignment. I had ripped my contracts, a ranger and doctrine program. Uh, and I saw the – my last name is Low Dick, John, right? So Low Dick got picked on forever. I mean, from the time I was a young kid, you can imagine how the drill sergeants got me at, in basic training. So basic training, they smoked me to death. And then I figured, okay, I'll get to AIT and they'll let me alone. Well, AIT, they smoked me to death. I figured, okay, I'll get to Airborne School, they'll let me alone. And they didn't leave me alone. They smoked me to death. And I see these E3s picking up the graduating class before us for Ranger uh, Indoctrine Program. And they're smoking the hell out of everybody. And I was just like, I'm, I am so done with getting smoked. I heard about parties and, and drinking and having fun, but I'm getting 
killed. Anyhow, so I, I <laughs> over the first summer, and I was like, yo, I got to get out of that Ranger thing. That's a volunteer thing, so I'm going to get out of that. So I ended up going to Fort Bragg, uh, North Carolina, and I got, you know, love to have it. I, I got uh, put into Corps Lurs Long Range Surveillance, which isn't a Ranger unit per se, uh, but but it's uh, anybody that knows Long Range Reconnaissance Patrol and the, and the evolution from Vietnam to what Lurs was in, in 1997 or 98, uh, it's, it's <laughs> where a lot of the Ranger guys are, so. You know, you talk about being smoked all the way through. And I get the I get the last name thing. My last name Crotech. You know, it sounds very familiar to these feminine pads, and not to be rude, but you know, so you know, they got me pretty good too. Tell us about being smoked, and then tell us, you know, does anything stick out in basic training? What was that when you got there? What was that transition like from the civilian world? Well, I got to tell you, man. So uh, being smoked was it was I just could not get right. I mean, that's if I was that sort of because later, I, like I like you said in the intro, I became a drill sergeant. But if they they would have called me anything, it was can't get right. I had a real bad attitude, man. I, I you know I I was scared. So in, in fear, I acted out in a certain way that was kind of masculine or, or, or macho. You know what I mean? But yeah, I, I found myself getting getting just crushed, and I, and I understood it later. I didn't understand it then, and it was just it was so frustrating to me. I, I didn't join the army to to do push-ups and just to be physically exhausted, uh, you know, just, just crushed. I, I didn't expect, I mean, I expect to be in shape, but I was an athlete, so I was already in shape. Uh, this, this tested not my, my physical uh, prowess and my abilities, but it really, really tested my mental uh, uh, discipline, my ability to stay, stay focused on the task at hand. And, and that, that was what smoke was. I mean, the physical part, whatever, man, I'd do it. Uh, but it really it drove me crazy. In my mind, I had to learn how to shut up. Like I just had to be quiet and still. And I got to tell you, I mentioned fear. Uh, when I got on the airplane, uh, that was the first time I was going to leave my family. And I, that was, I actually remember crying, looking out the window uh, like a little boy. And um, it was really frustrating to me uh, because in my mind, before getting on, my, on the airplane, I was a man. And I was going to go prove to my, my family, to my friends, to the teachers, to the world that when, I, when they said that I wouldn't amount to anything because I wasn't a good student, because I was a bad kid, because I, I mean, I was always respectful, but I was doing bad things. But when, when all those folks that were naysayers about what I could or could not accomplish, I was going to prove to them that I would be great. And I got in the airplane and cried like a little boy. And I'll tell you, I was lost for, for the first, uh, for basic training. I got to tell you, I, I was truly lost. I mean, I just kind of went through the motions, to be honest. Does anything stand out in basic training that you can remember that made a huge impact on your on your life today? There was a, a young kid, and he, he he's I can't remember life. He was my bunkmate, and, I, and I, it sucks. I wish I could remember his name right now, and I, it's going to elude me. He was an Irish young Irish kid from Kentucky. Just was interesting, but he was country. Uh, I was a Buffalo kid, not really city, but not not so country. You know, I mean, I was a little different, but he was much different than me, and he was just weak, uh, weak physically, weak mentally, and I remember him. Just, just being broke, you know what I mean, and and that that is kind of what made me strong. And it, it, maybe it sounds wrong, but I used him as fuel. And I looked at him and said, "Well, if he if he's going to make it through, I'm going to make it through." But more importantly, and I got to tell you, so it doesn't sound cruel, is I used him, but he, he used me as well because I encouraged him. And and he was actually the one that where everything's going crazy, I I knew that he was struggling. And again, from the physical perspective, where my mind was was weak as well, you just couldn't see that. You could see my physical, I guess you would say, prowess and, and, and stamina for him. He wasn't. So I got to use him. And that, that was actually, what I think, probably one of the first signs of me being a leader in the Army, being able to be a successful leader in the Army. I mean, I was a leader before I came in the military, but in the Army was a different world. And that kind of spotlighted for me what I could be. 
Well, you know, you heard that proverbial, you know, joke, you know, you go into jail or you're going to go in the service. And so it sounds to me like it was a trajectory that seemed to work out for you spent 20 years there. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that story. Uh, it wasn't for preparation or desire. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it was really for lack of preparation, which is kind of crappy, right? But at the end of the day, each time was time for me to reenlist. I'm, I'm very aware of myself, you know. I'm, I, I've always been self-aware, and I always knew what my what my abilities could be, what I should be, where what people would say, that what I could do when they would uh, doubt, right? But what I did know was, if I got out at any time, four years, eight years, twelve years. Those times I did not prepare properly and I would have went back to the same exact thing I was doing before, uh, which was nothing. And, and I, I got to tell you, that was that was not going, that was not acceptable to me. And I knew I had to be something. So and in, in, in spite of a plan, I, I solidified a, a pretty successful career because I, I was able to do the army and I was good at it. Well, yeah, darn right. You were good at it. Tell us about some of your tours of duty and. You know, a couple of things, you know, we all go into the service for different reasons and you outlined some of that. But, you know, looking at your career as a whole, after you described some of your tours, you know, what, what, what did it encapsulate? What, what did that whole thing teach you? What did you learn from that? Man, so I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I learned from it. I learned a network. I learned people. I, I, I truly discovered me and I discovered how uh, to truly motivate people when you don't have tools right so i think the military is one of those things that uh, you you get the opportunity to lead people and some people lead be, and are, are led because there's structure and they have to right like it's if i don't do what i'm told i'm going to get in trouble then there's people that, that are led because they want to follow the leader right and i learned uh, along the way that sometimes I had to be forceful and lead because I, especially as a young sergeant, uh, sergeant I, I had to tell people what to do because I could, and I could bang my chest and say, you know, my rank is this thing on, does this work? Are you guys going to, you know, all that nonsense crap. But I also understood that, Hey, I can't pay this guy or this girl. I can't, I can't give them any more money. How do I make them want to do more? How do I make them want to, to, to follow me? How do I make them, how do I, and it's because I had to learn them. So learning what motivated people was actually a challenge. And it was a skill that I've, I've developed over that time because I cared enough to learn as opposed to uh, just telling people what to do. But just to give you uh, just a little bit of uh, my career, as far as where I was stationed and the things I've done. Uh, I mean, so I was at Fort Bragg initially, and, and I learned a lot of lessons there, and it was how to how to carry weight. I mean, it was a private, uh, and I was constantly moving, constantly being you know the guy that had to get everything from A to B because the senior guys were teaching me, and that's how I learned in the culturally acceptable way. And it wasn't bad. It was my favorite organization ever. Uh, they, they taught me a lot about me, who I was, what I'm able to do, what I'm capable of doing, even pushed me well beyond uh, anything I thought I could ever achieve. So that was great. My next assignment was in Korea. I spent 36 months in Korea, uh, not just because uh, I wanted to. I, I, I did spend 36 months in because I was there for 12 months. I reenlisted for 18 months to stay, uh, another additional six months to get to where I wanted to go, and that was at McDill. Uh, but some things about Korea that I learned, I learned that that it's, it's really fun. Uh, in, in that part of the world, I, I traveled an awful lot. I, I used to every four day weekend, I go to you know Cambodia, Laos, Thailand, the Philippines, uh, 
Uh, I just do a lot of stuff. Even Korea was just a blast. It was a lot of fun. Japan was a great time. So I had a lot of fun. I uh, met a lot of great people that I'm still friends with today. Uh, and I love that. Uh, but I, that's where I learned that I had cancer, right? So I think that's where that's kind of as much of a entertaining time in life. It was probably one of the most eye-opening experiences in life as well. Uh, just in my prime, in my youth, in my fun, in my all that stuff I was doing, uh, I, I found out I was going to die, and that's what the way I looked at it, right? I didn't know because the word cancer, in, in most terms, is terminal. So that was a very fearful time. Uh, but obviously, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that here shortly if you'd like. But, you know, I moved on from there. I went uh, from there to McDill, the Central Command. I got to work under General Tommy Franks, which was a, a blessing. The guy's an amazing human being. I learned that there are some amazing officers in the United States military in general. At that point, I, I met a couple colonels. I worked for captains. I never saw a general, never really worked in the same you know, cubicle or space as an 06 or an 07. So the ability to actually see these guys that work to understand the level of intelligence that they had, oh my God, was it amazing. And, and it was just a great thing. And, and then from CENTCOM, I went to be a drill sergeant at Fort Jackson, South Carolina. got there in uh, January of 05 and was there for two years. And that's where I learned life. That's where I learned that there are different learning styles, that people learn differently. You can't just say things and have people do. You have to, some have to touch it, some have to uh, see it, some have to, you know, hear it, whatever the case may be. But that's where I actually learned that I could help people if I just took my time to learn them, uh, which to me was the most valuable lesson of my entire career was right there from 05 to 07. Uh, from there, I came back to McDill Air Force Base at JCSE, the Joint Communication Support Element, a joint organization full of outstanding communicators, an amazing organization that just uh, it, it's just an amazing place you, the, the things that I mean it, it's just a worldwide organization they, they support everywhere that you go in this world and it's, you, you, if you if you were to look at where everybody's at in that place at, at some point in time 24 hours a day seven days a week 365 days a year there's a member of the joint communication support element around the world at some point it's, it's just amazing um, and from there, I went to uh, Fort, uh, excuse me, uh, Lyons, Stuttgart, Germany. I went to uh, uh, Stuttgart Army Airfield, and that's uh, Special Operations Command Africa. Got to got to learn and to uh, lead some folks, but enjoyed Germany. We did a lot of TDYs traveling around there, spent a lot of time on the continent of Africa. So that was interesting. You know, I kind of learned a whole different different place, if you will, because um, we hadn't really focused much of my time on that. Uh, Previous to that, it was all in the Middle East area and all that good stuff, right? So I got to go and see Africa and see some of the things that happen in Africa, meet some of the most amazing people in this world that are in Africa. And it's just a great place to go. And then from SOC Africa in Germany, I came to SOC Cent, Special Operating Command Central, back at McDill, uh, where I was the first arm for, for a, a, little, a little over two years. You know, got to spend a lot of time in the Middle East doing some wonderful things in there. But I got to Got to be in charge of soldiers, and I, I love that. I love the fact that some of those young young men and, and women are still very close to me to this day. That's probably one of the places where I I, uh, I stay in contact with a lot of the young troops uh, that are no longer young troops. There, there some of them are master sergeants, E eight, some are E sevens, some are out, and you know I stay in touch because they they had such an impact on my life, just in the things that they did, the things that we went through together. Just a great family type organization. It was really really awesome. Uh, and then from there I. I got to slide back over to JCSE where I was an operations sergeant major for a year and a half and then a sergeant major, the squadron sergeant major for a year uh, prior to deciding to retire. And, you know, I got to tell you, that was one of the hardest decisions I made, but it wasn't because of the fact that I could have or should have got promoted to sergeant major, right? So a lot of people, and I want to make sure that's clear for your listeners, is that I did not, I was not a sergeant major, right? So a lot of folks, they'll call me sergeant major even now that I'm retired. People that work with me and or for me will call me sergeant major. I never 
uh, got promoted. I never got selected. I, I wasn't on a list, nothing like that. I just was, I was in a position for about a year. I, I decided to retire prior to the Sergeant Major Board even convening uh, because I knew, I, I knew there was a, a calling for me. Change your forecast was already in my mind and I wanted to make it real. Uh, so I didn't want to, I didn't want to go for another two or three or four or five years to, to see if I'd be a Sergeant Major or even to, to be a Sergeant Major. Right, I had already been, right. I didn't have the star uh, I didn't have a wreath, but what I did have was the respect of my command sergeant major to appoint me as a sergeant major, to tell everybody that I was a sergeant major, to give me the title. And that was good enough for me because I never was that guy that needed the army to say, you're good to be promoted based on your records. Yeah. I was good enough to be promoted based on the people that were surrounding me and said, hey, you're, you're going to fulfill this this obligation, this role, because we, we, we believe in you. So it was perfect, and it gave me the opportunity to retire. So, I mean, it was just fulfilling. i got to be honest. Well, that's definitely an honorable thing for sure, you know, and you don't – again, they don't slot you in those positions because you're some dirtbag. You obviously earn the respect, and and I understand the reasons completely. Tell us a little bit about the Middle East, that, you know, your experience in the Middle East. Anything important that needs to be said? No, you know, I, and I, I'm, I'm probably one of few people. Like, I, I would – if I was to sit back and have conversations about deployments, I'm, I'm one of those few people that really – I'm not I'm not that guy. I mean, I, I, I didn't avoid – uh, deployments. I went there. I'd, I'd spent time and very minimal. It was it was more on trips. Like I said, I I'd got the opportunity to work at CENTCOM, and you know, for for the uh, CG, I wasn't on his comms team uh, very long, and, and and I didn't really do anything to where I was going. There. I was really in the command center. So all the assignments that I had uh, were outside of the the you know the Afghanistan's and the Iraqs. I was moving around towards the other areas of the of the Middle East. So I didn't really have that uh experience that, that a lot of people talk about and for that i think a lot of a lot of folks make fun of me and they say some things uh and, and not quite understandable to be honest with you especially when you sit there and talk about the length of time uh that i was in during the 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 most you know prominent days of, of war and here i was at drill sergeant for three years here i was at that that socks and sock half uh, I was at JCSE, and when I was at JCSE, I was the director of tactical training, so I wasn't out that way. I was the director of tactical training because I had just got off the trail being a drill sergeant, so they put me in those positions. So, again, uh, the locations in which I was in, uh, position-wise and, and, and assignment-wise, didn't didn't offer me the opportunity to really go. Yeah, I get it. Uh, did, let me ask you this. So that 20-year career, and obviously you went to a lot of different places, filled a lot of different slots. Can you think of any – one thing or two things that happened in your career that just it was like an aha moment or it just opened your eyes to where like holy cow that that means something to me man yeah i mean i don't, don't yeah a lot of things happened that that meant a lot to me deaths meant a lot to me even now you know i mean i, I didn't have to be around to 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 see it to understand there was an effect and not just on me i mean i've had plenty of friends pass you know through whether it be combat or just accidents or whatever the case may be um but understanding that the, the people around me were affected you know there's a lot of things that are happening within the military today i mean 10 years ago so all all of those things that happened you could see it you could see the change in, in people and and you know i think um, the aha moment, if you would, uh, was my time on a trail, not just about people in general, but, you know, we had, we had plenty of folks that were, uh, had tried and attempted suicide as, as privates would do or whatever the case may be, because they were lonely or sad or whatever the case may be. And, and the actual, you know, understanding that, you know, understanding who they are, but, but actually understanding that you had to know 
the signs of these guys. I mean, in order to, and it's, look, it can't be stopped and, and signs are good to see, but if you know somebody, right, there, there's, there's, um, there's chances are that you can, you can see that there's a change of behavior and a characteristic that, that you might be able to pick up and maybe just maybe make a difference. I'm not saying it's, it's anybody's, uh, calling to make those differences, but it definitely understanding that if I can recognize, you know, maybe, a uh, sleeping habits or drinking habits or being late to formations or, or these things that just constantly happen from a guy that's been or a gal who's been completely completely like dependable and always there. If I can see a change, then I can recognize and I can make a difference. And I can I, and, I, and I'm telling you, unfortunately, uh, I've had to deal with a couple of that of those things that happen. And sometimes there was uh, there were there were good. I mean, good outcomes, right? Where we were able to say, hey, <laughs> get there beforehand. But then some we didn't, and that was a, that's a damn shame. So. Uh, that, that's still happening today. That doesn't stop. So it's, it's a that's one of those aha moments that we all can make a difference and we all should be trying to make a difference. But that all comes to knowing your people. Right. So that's one aha moment. The second thing I got to tell you, man, in, in my career is just how much you influence people um, by your actions. And I got to I got to be if I'm honest. Right. I, I didn't always do the right things when I was in the military. I did wrong things when I was a private because of my when I was a private. I was only thinking about me and what what I could get away with or what I could do. You know, as I, I got promoted and I got senior, I was thinking about them and them and them. Uh, and, that, and that became became huge because how they perceived me was based on not what I said, because they could give a damn what I said. I mean, I could ruin uh, some things if I said some stupid stuff, right? But they watched me. They watched me march. They watched me walk. They watched me talk. They watched, they, they paid so much attention. And because of that, that's influence, right? And I, I realized, and that's why I got out, because I could only influence the, the group of people that I was around, right? So if I was the sergeant major of a battalion, I could only influence that battalion. Yeah, could I go walk somewhere else and influence some people? Sure. But the other sergeants major are going to be upset because you're you're in their area, right? So what I knew right then and there was I want to influence more people. And I want there to be no guard. I want me to be able to go to wherever I want to go with whatever message I want to spend and, or send. And, and I wanted that to happen. So that was the aha moment for me is influence. And that's based on the way I act, the way I talk, the way I deliver a message and the way I can look in your eyes and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I am being upfront, honest, and very, very clear with what my intentions are. And that's important to me more than anything in this world. Those are some great points. And obviously awareness is paramount to, you know, watching out for people, making sure that there is a change in habit or, you know, some kind of unusual behavior that seems against the grain. It's, it's worth, you know, having that type of awareness. And then, you know, being an influencer is certain. That's where we talked about leadership. You know, that's certainly, Something that's, like I say, paramount to the success of anybody's life or organization is the leadership. Um, so, you know, so you're already formulating plans. You know, you, you did your 20. You did a lot of really cool stuff, had a lot of fun and had some uh, interesting trips to speak of, <clears throat> you know. And so you're thinking about on the other side and your leadership. So you were thinking a little bit about transition. What was that, that like for you when you first got out? Well, What's interesting is uh, VP Van Pruin James, he, he had come to me as I decided to retire and he was like, hey, I want you to be on this podcast network with me. Uh, we're going to you can be the co-founder and blah, blah, blah. And he's talking about it. And, then I, and I, I told him, I said, hey, what's a podcast? Right. So I, I didn't even know what it was, let alone be wanted to even partner with VP because VP's crazy, man. He's always he's always up to something. Right. But anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, that he is. <laughs> yeah. But so, yeah, so I said, you know what? I, I looked into podcasting. I said, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Uh, I want to do it. I don't know what I talk about. Well, he said, well, he gave me some ideas and stuff. And 
I was in taps at that very moment. And that, ne- that next day I called him and I said, I'm going to talk about leadership. And he was like, what? I was like, yeah, listen, I, I, I've been leading for a long time. I've been around a great bunch of leaders. I've had some poor leaders. I've done poor leading. Uh, I want to talk about leadership because there's, there's a, a, it's absent uh, in the transition process. And why I said that was I was in TAPS, uh, you know, soldier for life uh, for the Army or whatever the case may be, but I was in an Air Force base, so it was TAPS. And I'm in a room with O6s, with uh, O3s, with E3s, uh, with spouses, with, I mean, it didn't even matter. It was just National Guard, reservists, retirees, people that are separating due to medical, to people that are separating because they're being separated for discipline. There was no commonality, right? The only common thing was they were getting out. We were all getting out. And the person in front of the room was talking so general. There was so many people looking around with their eyes, like mouths wide open, thinking, I'm lost, right? Now, in the meantime, John, I already was creating a business. I I didn't even care about this podcasting thing. I I didn't want to write a resume because I didn't need one for a business. Uh, And I'm just looking around at all these people that don't know what they're doing. The E6s and below just want to get out. They don't even care about being in this class. They're not paying attention at all. They just want – this is just another hurdle to leave. And then it was – there just wasn't enough – emphasis on anything. It wasn't enough to say, hey, listen, young man or, or woman, this is what we're going to offer you. This is what we can do for you. So it was very just gone. So what I told VP was, I said, man, there's absence. I said, I've been talking to my mentors for the past year about what if I get out or if I'm going to get out. And then when I decided to get out, I was talking to former sergeants majors, former colonels, uh, former hell, staff sergeants and sergeants, first classes that have been getting out, just people that have had experience out there either running a business or just being out there in the regular world. Uh, and, and by the way, I, I wasn't I wasn't like on an installation for 20 years. So I had dealings with civilians as well. So I wasn't like just out there like I don't know how to deal with those people. I mean, I still had like you know, friends, and I still dealt with civilians. So it wasn't like I was in a, in like institutionalized very much, but that's what, that's what happened in the transition process is like, I just got so lost in that, that room with them listening what? and seeing that the, the missing pieces and VP and I just, I said, yep, I'm going to be on a podcast. And I started interviewing the people that I was getting information from and, and putting it out there for them to listen to. Where'd you ETS from? Adam McDill? Adam McDill. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, you're back there now, right? Yeah, so and that that's an interesting story in itself, right? So I, what I, I have said, if you if you go back to any of my early early podcasts, um, you'll hear me say adamantly, right? I will never be a contractor. I will never be a GS civilian. Uh, and what I would say about never is, don't say that if you have no damn idea what business is and you're going to be a businessman, <laughs> right? Like, that's what that's what I would tell you. Uh, because what happened is April 28th was my retirement ceremony. And I retired out of out of uh, Steinbrenner Field here in Tampa, which was awesome. It was a great day. On that day, I announced the opening, the official grand opening of Change Your Forecast LLC uh, from April 28th until September 1st. I worked diligently 150 miles per hour in a completely wrong direction from a business perspective. Uh, and at that point is when I stopped getting paid from the Army and now I'm on retirement pay, right? So um, I had told my wife that if I wasn't getting money, by September 1st for my business, or at least enough to sustain us for what we were getting paid because I don't want to change our lifestyle because I chose to retire, uh, I'd get a job. Well, I did get a job. I didn't get a job as a DOD contractor or civilian. I got a job selling cars at uh, the world's uh, uh, world's greatest and uh, uh, Ford F-150 dealership in America and well, the world, excuse me, number one. F-150 dealership in the world, which is Brandon Ford, ladies and gentlemen. And that's not, that's not a pitch for them, but I love that place. And I got to be honest with you. I love that job. I, I started there. I worked for three months there. 
Uh, the problem for me was I wanted a business. I wanted to retire, spend time with my family. And uh, I just didn't want to work those hours. It was uh, 67 hours a week, which was crazy to me. I was I was dying. Uh, just I was constantly away from home. And, and more important, I didn't get to focus on business. I was offered a job as a government contractor really out of nowhere because I sold a friend of mine a car who happened to be a government contractor. Um, and, he, and he hooked me up with somebody. I, I did an interview and then I gave him a resume after the interview and I had already got the job. Uh, that's why I always tell someone you can write a pretty resume if you want, but if you don't know anybody, you're in a bad situation. So anyway, uh, that's kind of where I became a government contractor, which has been an amazing blessing in disguise. That's pretty incredible. So tell us about the, the podcast. Who, who are some of the people that you have interviewed on, on your podcast? Oh, man. You put me on the spot because you want me to think about everybody, but no, it's good. So I, well, I've interviewed uh, former Sergeant of the Army, Jack Tilly, which to me is an amazing, just amazing orator. He's just awesome. I mean, he was a Sergeant of the Army when I came in the Army. He's just an awesome, awesome guy. Um, it's, uh, Daniel Alaric from Grunt Style. Obviously, I interviewed you, which I thought you were one of the better guests, uh, only because I love what you're doing. And I say that, but I say it to everybody, so don't get too excited. <laughs> no, no that's just, all good, man. I get it. You know, just, just show me some love, man. That's all good. I'm, I'm just teasing you. I, I've interviewed Dan Dwyer, uh, Anthony Forstner, which he, he was a, a good friend of mine back in the day. Uh, about five sergeants major when I first started were friends of mine um, who, who just had a good insight on, on the world after the military. Uh, and I, and I, you know, JC Glick, I could really name a bunch, man. Uh, Rob Campbell, these guys have authored books and, you know, they're doing great things in the, in the, in the, um, veteran space. Jay Hicks had wrote, had wrote a PM book, a, pro, a program manager book, actually five of them. Uh, so, I mean, I've had some pretty good guests and, and, and I went from just, uh, doing interviews on, uh, you know, on whether it be Skype or Zoom or over the phone with 1-800 free conference call. Uh, I kind of uh, developed, a, I did video and I started doing uh, streaming onto Facebook Live and then I'd use that and strip the audio and send it out to, you know, iTunes or whatnot. But I love the the, 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 the live aspect of it all because it gives people the ability to interact. But also I get to see somebody and it, it's, you know, I get to multi-purpose or use it for, for different uh you know, repurpose the audio, repurpose the video, do things like that and help out to promote whoever it is that's on my show, because that's what the whole idea is. It surely is not to promote me. I want everybody that's on there to get as much uh, 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 coverage as possible, because everybody that I bring is truly doing something amazing for our community. Well, that's great. You know, Jeff, you know, one thing that I read the other day, there's, you know, I I, I think there's like 600,000 podcast hosts out there or shows and the average podcast show lasts about six episodes. So, you wow. know, for you to make it where you're at, I mean, that takes it's not just a you know, it's real work. It just you know, you just don't get into this as a hobby and then decide, well, you know, I think I'm going it, to it's something you really have to take serious. And when you're interviewing veterans like you are and like we're doing here, you know, there are stories that need to be told. And so. If you're listening to podcasts and you're listening to Jeff's show, you know, you're just as important as the people on the show, because without the listeners, these stories don't they're not listened to. You know, mm -hmm. I don't know. It's kind of a roundabout way of saying these shows make a difference. And especially mm -hmm. in the veteran space, when, you know, half the global population thinks that veterans are broken and guys right. like you that are interviewing them are proving them just the other, you know, the other way around that they're not broken. Right. Agreed. And, and you know, it's, it's really interesting that you even bring that up. And in a sense, I, 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 I've got the opportunity when I first got out I mean, I was traveling 
quite a bit in the veteran space. And I was down in San Antonio. I was out in, in, in San Diego, went up to Washington State. I was over in New York, down into North Carolina. And I was having a lot of conversations with with just a bunch of different transitioning folks and transition folks. And whether they, it didn't matter what their rank was, didn't matter if they were officers enlisted, guy, girl, uh, it didn't matter. It didn't matter color, none of that stuff, uh, even branch of service. But, and the one thing that I found to be so common is, is the, the common theme was they just don't understand us. And they were talking about the civilian world and kind of, kind of what our, our uh, mindset is about stuff. And maybe they don't. And we're such a small group of folks when it comes down to percentage that they, maybe they'll never will, right? And maybe that's our, our job to tell our story. And, and that, that's where it came from is, is the idea that, hey, look, I, I, I can't tell – I can't personally walk around and tell every civilian your story or even the veteran story. But what I can do because – and, and our words, right, when our words being a group of veterans together say they don't understand us. Well, the only way they're going to is to provide a voice for you, to put it out there for them to hear it. And, and whether or not, like, I, I don't know if just veterans listen to my show. I mean, I know they don't just listen to my show because I've had civilian folks send me messages and say, hey, that was a great interview. I had a guy, There's, I, I want to, at the end of this show, uh, John, if you don't mind, I'd like to tell you a story about one of the guys that I had come on my show uh, just because the value of his uh, his story was amazing and what, what the fall, not the fallout, but the, the benefit was. But anyway, that, those stories need to be shared and they need to be shared across, across those, uh, those lines, those, those boundaries, right? Because really we work in those boundaries. It's not us versus them. It's us, period. I mean, we were soldiers. Uh, we still can be soldiers. I'm still a paratrooper. I'm still a master rate jump master. I was still a drill sergeant. I can still, I can still tell you that leadership is the process of influencing soldiers to accomplish the mission by providing purpose, direction, motivation. That is from the Army regulation back in 1997 when I was a private. Now it's changed since. But I remember that stuff because that'll never leave me. But what I also know is that I work around and with the civilian world. And it's not their job to understand me when I'm one of, you know, a few of where there, there are a lot of them, right? Well, that's what we used to say. You know, there's more of them than us. Yeah. And yeah. so we, we can, we can, we can do it together. I mean, it's, it's proven. <laughs> there's a lot, of, there's a lot of successful folks out there, you know, there's, there really is. And it's, and you, you just have to hear the stories, understand why, and, and kind of just put yourself in a position to be successful. That, that's the way I, I envision it. I like that. So, you know, tell us about Change Your Forecast LLC with the sports. So change Your Forecast. So, man, that's, that's a, I'm I'm so excited about that. That's like my passion project. That's that's my work of life, and and I cannot wait until that becomes my my full paid job where I get to take care of my family based on that. I mean, because change your forecast LLC is simply that man uh, understanding that wherever you're at in life, and we could have went a lot deeper into my upbringing, but more importantly, we could have gone, everybody's got a story. And and the enlisted story is that of of a lot of struggle, right? And then people, they come out on top a lot of times, not all the time. But that being said, I see the the ability and the place and, and people. And change your forecast is the, is the understanding. It's It's in your mind that only you can change yours. I can't change your forecast. I can't change the things that you're going to do, but you can, and you can see what people are envisioning you to be. I always heard those stories. You're not going to amount to nothing. Your grades suck. Your dedication is this and blah, blah, blah. That's because I wasn't dedicated to the crap they wanted me to be dedicated to. I was dedicated to the things that interested me. Playing baseball was that thing. Being around my teammates was that thing. I didn't want to do math. I didn't want to do social studies. Now, don't get me wrong, John. I'm definitely telling people, not telling people to don't get educated. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that we all have interests. And and in those interests, we as teachers of people have to find those. We really have to understand what they are. And then and only then can that person in front of us that has those struggles, he can be empowered. She can be empowered to change what is thought of them in society 
and do it on their own, but to understand those things exist for them to change, right? So I, I use I use team sports as as the the message, right? Because I believe in baseball specifically. I'll have a book coming out in September. It's called uh, Life is a Game. Who knew it was baseball? Uh, it's truly just it's it's correlating the life of baseball, uh, or excuse me, the, the game of life to the game of baseball. It's it's there's there's so many things that we learn, and it's it's a book that's bridging the gap between father son, uh, mother daughter coaches, players, and just gives insight to, to, to life on people that haven't yet experienced it. You know what I mean? So it's just a, it's a passion project just to give people the idea that, that there is, there is something better than where they're at. And if they see it, then they can achieve it. And that's just the way it is. I mean, the Wright brothers didn't fly, uh, because someone gave them a plane and said, this is going to work. They, they saw, they envisioned, and they made it happen. Uh, They changed our forecast, right? Definitely true about that. So, you know, where do you see yourself in five years? And if you if you wanted to or do you want to leave a legacy? <laughs> I see myself happy, man. Uh, and what I mean by that is that a lot of people, this is going to be uh, I know this wasn't designed for the question, but I believe just like Ernest Nightingale said that success is a progressive realization of a worthwhile goal. Therefore, I don't believe in failure because the only failure can be quitting and stopping, right? So a progressive realization of a worthwhile goal. What's worthwhile to me may not be worthwhile to you. And progressive means to continually move toward it, right? Which is what I'm doing. Uh, and it's just, it's the realization. It's its its the ever-evolving uh, uh, idea. So in five years, I could tell you that change your forecast will be thriving. And whether that's financially or not, it's irrelevant to me. What it, what is relevant to me is that I, if I can look and see the, uh, young men, women that are making a difference in their own lives because I got to give them a message, I'm going to continue to do it because that's what I want to see. I believe that children are our future. Uh, we can quote Whitney Houston, right? That's not what I wasn't going to start singing, John. But You I, start I believe, singing, man. That's it, brother. <laughs> and that's it. We, we call it a day. No, I won't sing. But I do believe it. And I, and I believe that... Uh, that I, I'm, I'm looking for happiness and that's what that will make me happy. That's awesome, man. So, so if you had a message out there, you know, for the non-veteran population about veterans and especially combat veterans, what would you want them to know about combat veterans or about just about veterans, veterans? You know, I got to be honest. So the four things I believe that people talk about in the civilian world so much about veterans are PTSD, homelessness, unemployment, and the, the 22 a day suicide rate. And and those things should be talked about. Awareness should be there, and people should always understand that that exists. I mean, we we should be reaching for for uh, you know help, and people should be asking for it and and, and providing it. But at the end of the day, on the, on the flip of all that is. $4.2 trillion a year are, is made by veteran-owned businesses to our economy. Uh, there are veterans, whether they have a PTSD or, or disabilities or, or, or even if they're going through depression, but there's other ones that, that don't have any of that stuff, but they own businesses and they're, and they're, they're all giving positive and, uh, contributions to the society. They, 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 we're strong. Man. And, and for some cities, some of these cities could use the the backs of these veterans to stand on, shoulders to to lean on, because where a lot of things are going, uh, I, I would say pretty pretty bad and horribly wrong in certain circumstances. You, some of these veterans will be the, the the pillar, man. It'll be the thing that you could stand and build something so structurally sound that it's gorgeous. The Coliseum isn't built on on, stuff, on a foundation that strong. You know what I mean? And that's what I believe that that the veteran community can offer across America, across the oceans, we we're everywhere and, and we're not going anywhere. So you might as well, uh, you know, embrace us and, and, and use us to, to what we can be used for. And oh, by the way, partner with us because we have great, 
great life experiences to offer and show the world that, that we can be successful. Definitely a good point. So let's just say there's a listener out there who's prior military, male, female, and they're in a bad place. What are you going to tell them? Man, call, call someone, man. If you don't have someone, call. There, there's, you know, there's, there's everyone in the world. Reach out to me, jeffrey.lodic at gmail.com. I don't want to give my phone number on, to, to your to your site only because I have a whole bunch of people calling me telling me how much of a poke I am or something. But <laughs> but reach out to me, jeffrey.lodic at gmail.com and say, hey, call me. I'll have an issue. Man, there's so many outlets out there, John. Uh, veterans to Veterans on, on Facebook. There's other vets, uh, Facebook groups out there. Um, there's one here in Florida that I love, and I, I just can't think of the name off the top of my head. I'll have to grab my phone. I really actually there's I really a want bunch to. of them out there, though. You're oh, right. But there's that's what I would tell them. Reach out, man. Talk. Someone wants to hear you, and someone wants not. Look at. I think people get so offended and 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 kind of. I don't want to say offended, and I don't want to say stressed out. But the word help is kind of has a negative connotation in our in our world, in our culture, the military culture. I, I don't want someone to help me. I'm not asking someone to help me. I don't want, you know, I don't want that. Um, so it's not about someone wants to help you. But look, someone wants to love you. Someone wants to be there for you. Someone wants to be a shoulder. Someone, I mean, that, that they really, truly want want that. And uh, that, that actually, can I can I share a story real quick for sure, you, Sure, go ahead. Absolutely. So so uh, uh, Josh Gertz, uh, he, he, uh, he was a guest of mine. And, and when I, when I, heard about this kid it was an amazing thing he was riding his wheelchair from indiana to buffalo new york he a friend of mine that i hadn't talked to in probably about 15 years saw me somehow on facebook he and i weren't even friends saw me on facebook sent me an instant message said hey this guy's gonna arrive in buffalo you gotta hear his his story um he's doing this for the 22 veterans a day uh, killing themselves he's just he's it's an amazing story. So I looked him up immediately. I reached out to him on Facebook uh, Messenger, and he was on his wheelchair, and he and I start to communicate. Mm-hmm. And I told him, I said, hey, I'd really love to have you on my show. I'd love to hear your story. I'd love to share your story. And uh, and I'd like to be there when you get home uh, in Buffalo uh, to be there for your arrival. And uh, so I did. I went home, and I, and I was there, and I interviewed him and brought him on my show. And this, this young man uh, was going to kill himself. He, he actually attempted. He took a whole bunch of pills. And here's where he told me why, and, and, and it's, it's pretty sad, but he he was in it. When every time he was in his, a room somewhere, because he was bound by a wheelchair, yeah. every time he was in a room, uh, people were very somber and, you know, asking if he's okay and just really quiet. And he'd leave the room to go wherever, and he'd hear laughter. His, his kids would be laughing, or his kid would be laughing, his wife would be laughing, his mother, mother-in-law, everybody's laughing. And he felt like he was sucking the life out of everybody. So he took he took a bunch of pills, uh, and he didn't he didn't die. He, they revived him, and he was fine. Uh, and it made him see a lot. And, and the thing is, his wife was pregnant. They had their second kid. Uh, and, and it really... It, it opened a line of communication that didn't exist before, which unfortunately for him, he had to go across that line for that line to open. Uh, but he really felt his found his value. His wife immediately reached out for the, to this organization called Songwriting with Soldiers, um, which is a bunch of famous sing- singers. I don't want to say famous because some are famous, some are not. They're songwriters and they, and they make songs with, with service members. Uh, and anyway, Mary Gauthier, she's a, she's a folk singer. She lined, uh, linked up with him. They created a song. 
man, that song will bring tears to your eyes if you ever hear it. And so therefore, I'm going to send it to you so you can listen to it. But this man's song, uh, this man's message was just so powerful. Uh, I got to tell you, when I got to Buffalo to interview him, I watched him coming into the into the street with his motorized wheelchair. And as he comes in, my aunt and uncle just happened to be in the, in the video. I hadn't seen my aunt and uncle in a bunch of years. Uh, that was the last time I'd seen my uncle before he passed away. All of that was linked to this man. I mean, so many things from that specific instance uh, just just opened my eyes to a lot and just made me really value life, right? It, it truly did. So my message to everybody is that that's feeling like they're in a dark place, man. Someone wants to love you, so let them love you, and and, and you'll be fine. They, they want to be there. Definitely some great advice, Jeff. You know, let me ask you this. What does freedom mean to you? What does it mean? Man. (laughs) No, I mean, mean, it's just so long. You ever breathe? Like, I mean, it's, and that's, I just say that. I've been around the world. I've been to a bunch of countries that have been, um, that just been just crap, you know, just crap. And and, and they don't, a lot of folks around here don't really understand what, what we have. Uh, and I say when I go outside and I just breathe, man, I love the smell of the, the rain when it hits the, the blacktop. There's a smell. That's freedom to me because that doesn't exist everywhere. Uh, it doesn't. I, I mean, whether it be because the econo- economy is just jacked up or the environment's jacked up or it's just you, they don't. I, I don't know. That's that's freedom to me is breathing, man. Like it really is. And that's what, what I feel every day around here. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I know exactly what you mean. And that's, you know, when you're right. Jeff, you know, uh, what's interesting, you know, I was in the travel business for a while. We sold a lot of hardcore gear for people to travel the planet, like you just said. And a lot of people think the rest of the world lives like we do, and they don't. And, they don't. and so taking freedom for granted is something that we need to check at the door, because if we lose this, it's only, we're only going to have ourselves to blame. And we've got, you know, you're on mission. And what the fantastic thing about very similar to your podcast is when I talk to veterans like you, it makes me it really motivates me because it makes me realize that even though we're out of uniform, every single one of us that's doing something like a podcast or making a difference with a company. We're still on mission. You know, we we believe in this country. We, we, we swore an oath to this country. And even though we we've, we've left you know, our, our terms of service, we're still in service to this country. So that means yeah. a lot, man. Thank you for that. Oh, it does. I, I appreciate you. Great. Well, let me ask you this. So if people want to contact you about your show and learn more about what you're doing, can you give us a little bit more information and, you know, tell tell the listeners how they can reach you, Jeff? And so what I'm going to tell you is on LinkedIn, Jeffrey Lodick, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y, Lodick. Uh, there's not many of us. And if, if it's a Lodick, they're related to me. So say hello to them, too. Uh, but look, in LinkedIn, if you want to connect with me, make sure you send me a message uh, to introduce how you know me. I say that because I'm going to reply with a K-only invite. And I'm going to set, schedule a 15-minute conversation with you. That is a, that's a must for me on LinkedIn. I just don't have people in my network to have them. Uh, that's just not my thing, not to say that doesn't exist for other people. I need to have a productive network. So if you want to be connected to me on LinkedIn, Jeffrey Lodick, send me a message. I'll, I'll do, send you a calendar invite. We'll, we'll talk on the phone to figure out how we can be productive for each other. I can help you. You can help me or we can help each other and, and grow. Uh, that's a, a must. Anyway, other than that, on the other side, Leadership After Transition, you can find that on Facebook. There's a page and a group. I'm not selling anything on either one of those things. Uh, this is a sole uh, – I mean, this is nothing. There's there's no dollar amount involved in this. This is for pure uh, service. 
Uh, so I don't ask for anything in return. Uh, you'll never ha hear me ask for anything in return. So please look look at, on the other side of leadership about the transition. If you want to hear me on iTunes, uh, iHeartRadio, uh, Stitcher, any one of the podcast players really that you find, uh, Spotify. I don't know if I'm on Spotify, actually, to be honest with you, but you can find uh, on the other side there. But if you want to reach me, LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, go ahead and, and you can be my friend on Facebook. We could be cool like that. Uh, if you want to send me an email, as I mentioned it earlier, jeffrey.lodic at gmail.com. Uh, anything that we can do to, to collaborate, I'm all, I'm all for it. And I appreciate the opportunity, John, to, to give people my information. Well, there you have it. Uh, Army veteran, Mr. Jeffrey Lodic, who's doing a lot of great things. He did a lot of great things in uniform, and he still continues to do them out of uniform. I'm humbled and honored to have you here on Straight Out of Combat Radio. And uh, I look forward to our conversation uh, at another time and, 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 and hopefully being able to see here soon. You know, we're in the same state. I think we're like uh, 45 minutes away from each other, but we really should link up and have a cup of Java. So let's do that. No doubt. As a matter of fact, you say 45 minutes. That's if one of us is staying stationary. Because if <laughs> yeah, I think that is. I think you're right, man. It'll probably take us about 20 minutes to actually meet somewhere in the middle. Well, we're going to do that soon, Jeff. Appreciate you being here and, uh, I look forward to that next conversation. Keep up the great work and uh, contact Jeff if you want more information. He gave it to you and appreciate you being here, man. Hey, thanks, John, for the opportunity. Thank you uh, sincerely, John. Thank you for what you do. Uh, you provide uh, a service, right? You, you really do because some of this right here, this is therapeutic. And I listen to your interviews. I, I love to hear someone tell their story. Someone needs to hear the story and not, not – Someone needs to tell it as well. And, and, I, and I really appreciate what you're doing for our community as we grow. Thank you, John. You're welcome. I appreciate that, Jeff. We'll talk to you soon. Yes, sir. Before they burn it down. Thank you for listening to another episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio, audio medicine from Green Zone Hero. If you liked what you heard, then tell others about us. Like us and download us. And please remember, freedom is not free, and combat veterans are vital assets. They're not broken.